Well, I hope you've had a great week, and uh, it's been a, a busy week for me. I, the, the convention behaved themselves for the first time in many years, um, and, uh, but I didn't. Um, and so uh, I did not get in to the convention until Tuesday morning about 4.30, and so I needed to be in the convention hall at about... Uh, Check, 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 check. That's better. Okay. Didn't get into the convention hall until um, around uh, 8 o'clock in the morning. And so, uh, you know, like good Baptists, the only kind of business that can be done is business over food. And so I had the opportunity to go and um, we, break, we broke for lunch. And I go right near to where, to where I was as far as I'm all hanging out today. But I uh, went to where, I, where we were uh, where we, right across the street from where the convention was meeting in the uh, arena, so to speak, convention center. And so I decided, well, I'm going to go to lunch. And so go across, and there's like an hour and a half line waiting. And uh, I look in the restaurant, and the bar is clear. Uh, everybody's waiting to sit down. And I was like, is there any wait at the bar? Well, no. I said, excellent. So I went and sat at the bar. Now, once I broke the social norm of not sitting at the bar, then all kinds of Southern Baptists decided to sit with me at the bar. So that was a, a great event. I was glad to lead them to the throne of the bar and order or food and get back to the convention. Uh, but I, I want to say today, as we look at Father's Day, you know, how many men do I have here today? If you're a man, will you raise your hand? Okay. If you're a man, could you say, I'm a man? Let's say that on the count of three. One, two, three. Okay. Let, 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 let's try that again. I, let's... I need, I need to hear that I'm a man with like at least 36 ounces of testosterone, kind of emphasize with that. So on the count of three, one, two, three. Amen. Ah, we got some men in the house. That's awesome. You know, the great thing is that, and, and I, you know, I think that when it comes to church life, uh, now I preached on, uh, you know, Mother's Day. I had some mothers. And I said, I hope you get your heart on the fathers as you were on the mothers. And I told them then, get ready. So here we're going we're gonna to dive in. Uh, you know, I find a lot of men want to be a man when it comes to Sunday morning and being spiritual. But I don't find too many men that are leading spiritually Monday through Saturday. Now, we got the umph, you know, we got the, we got the drive and all the stuff. And, I'm, and I believe, and kind of in a traditional role, in a scriptural role, that man is in charge of the household. Now, some of you women, you might say, oh, I don't know if I'm going to like this sermon or not. Just don't tune out. Because I think that when the home is in its rightful order, the man is the leader of the household. But there's a couple things that means, there's a couple things it doesn't mean. One of the things that it means is that the man is going to lead his family in the ways of God. Another thing that it means is that a man is going to be for his household what Christ was for the church. And we know what Christ did for the church, what did he do? He died for it. Let me tell you something. When someone's willing to die for you, when someone's willing to give their life for you, it expresses how much they love you. Jesus expressed his love in the fact that he laid down his life for you and for me. So husbands, if you want to be the man of God that God has always intended you to be, it means that you are going to lay down your life for your family. You're going to put your wife's needs, your children's needs, your family needs above your own. And this business of the men, I love it when we come to Father's Day. 
I love, the, I love that passage of Scripture where it says, Wives, submit to your husbands. I want you to understand, gentlemen, that when, you, when you're ever in a situation that you have to assert that type of authority and say that your wife needs to submit to you, it is an opportunity, it is a chance, it is a moment in time where you have lost every viable leadership principle that you could ever exhibit. Because the truth of the matter is, if your wife is going to submit to you, your wife will always submit to you when you have put Christ first in your marriage. Because there is nothing, listen, every woman wants to be spiritually led by God if they're, a, if they're a Christ follower. Every man wants to be spiritually led by God. In my house, uh, you, you know, most of, both Tammy and I, we're very passive, docile people, don't you think? Yeah. So in my house, when we got married, you had two chiefs coming together. I mean to tell you what, we had some, we had some interesting battles early on in our marriage. And one of the things was, you can't have two chiefs in the home. So I kind of say, and not, listen, not that my marriage is a model by any means, but I will tell you this, one chief has got to surrender at some point to the other chief. Now sometimes, she's been right on. Sometimes, I've been right on. Sometimes, we've both been right but wrong for that time and place. So we were both out of, out of sorts. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you this. In order to have a peaceful home, you better make sure that the husband and the wife are centered in the will of God, that are following the scriptural teaching. And men, and here's the thing, we lack, listen, we lack the ability to really lead our families for some reason. I don't, I, you know, when I, I talked a couple weeks ago about our role models, and most men don't know what it means to be a spiritual leader, what it means to be a man after God's own heart. And I think that if you look, this week, I, separate from the convention, there were some other meetings that happened in the night, and one of the things that, that occurred, I went to one of these meetings kind of as a, a spy. I wanted to see what was going on. And so I went to one of these meetings, and the topic was about leadership. And uh, there, was, uh, there was some gentlemen in the room that were leading kind of the, the discussion. And uh, they talked about how, you know, women, uh, women, you know, oftentimes assert their authority, and they shouldn't be doing this, they shouldn't be doing that. So it really became kind of this negative thing about women shouldn't do this and women shouldn't do that. And, and I was sitting there, and I was like, oh, dear Lord, if I speak, I'm, I'm forever going to be defined. And so I, I sat there, and I was like, okay, God, is somebody else going to speak? Please, God, send somebody else. Please, somebody else speaks. Somebody chop, you know, chop their liver or whatnot. And finally, in the very back of the room, as I'm sitting there praying, this gentleman stands up and he says, I'm in collegiate ministry. I have college students. I have women in college students. And basically what you've shared today is you've said that men should never teach women and that women are not spiritual leaders. And then he went on to say, he said, have you all never heard of the WMU? Yeah, see, I didn't say women hear yourselves roar today. But have you ever heard of the WMU? Let me tell you something. If women did not take leadership roles, can you imagine what the church would be like? I want you to think about that. If women did not take leadership roles in the life of the church, where would we be as a church? Where would our churches be? I can tell you one thing. A lot of children would have not have come to the saving knowledge of Christ because women made themselves available. You look at Vacation Bible School. How many women do we have teaching versus men? Usually. 
More women than men. How many women do we have teaching children in Sunday school? Versus men. The women went out. And what I've seen and what I've sensed in my years of ministry, I've had so many men come in to the door of my office and sit down and uh, they never, you know, come right out and say what their issue is or what their problem is. But eventually the conversation will get around to the fact that they're not happy. They're just not happy with the way life has turned out. They're not happy with what their spouse has done. They're not happy. They're not as far along in their career path that they wanted to be. They haven't saved enough for their 401k. Some of them don't even have 401ks. They don't have enough savings. They don't live in the house of their dreams. They don't have uh, all these things that they thought they would have. And so they are disgruntled and bewildered and they're hurt and they're broken and they're unhappy. I wonder how many men in the room today, if we really ask the question, are you happy, how many of you men would say, you know, I could be happier. And see, that's Satan's lie to us. We could be happier, we could be more fulfilled that if we had more things or we had a different spouse or if, you know, the spouse would just do this or the spouse would just do that or some of us might say in spiritual leadership, you know what, if I could just change them, then I could be the leader that God wants me to be. If you want to be the leader that God wants you to be, it begins by you and me looking in the mirror. Not trying to change exteriors, not trying to change other people, but making sure that you and I have been changed by the God who called us. If you want to have a dynamic family life, you want to have a dynamic romance life, you want to have a dynamic faith life, it involves you being sold out for the purpose of Christ. I want you to notice what Psalm chapter 1 says. Happy is who? Happy is the man that what? What does the scripture say? In Psalm 1. Ah, you've closed your Bibles. Psalm chapter 1. Happy is the man who... That works. King Jimmy got it right on this point. But who delight in the law of the Lord. Happy is the person who delights... In the ways of God. And this could be man or woman. It makes no mistake. It makes no difference. Happiness is achieved by walking in the words of God. Uh, Tuning into God's purpose rather than by just listening to advice from the wicked, as verse 1 says. When you and I are tuned in to God's word, tuned in to God's purpose, and not allowing ourselves to be tossed here and there and yonder by the evil that's around us. You don't have to look far to find evil. There are many ways that lead away from God, there's one way that leads to him, and that's through the person of Christ. And in our in our culture today, there's a plethora of things that culture says to us. And culture says over and over again that, look, all you need to do is be good. That there are many ways to God. You just need to express however he expresses himself to you. And I'm going to tell you, no. 
Now, I've worked with people that are of different faiths and different religions, but when it comes to the principles of the gospel of Christ, there is one way, and that is through Him. He is the criterion through which we are measured. He is the life. He is the standard of measurement for you and for me and for our families and for our marriages and for our workplace and everything else in between. God's purpose matter. And so we should pursue God's way rather than the path of sinners. We should pursue God's way rather than what the world teaches. We should enjoy meditating, thinking about, pondering on, and concentrating on the scriptures. Because the truth of the matter is, happy is the man who delights in the law of the Lord. The reason he's happy is because, listen, you become what you eat. You become what you eat. If you take a steady diet, and I'll, I gave this illustration to a couple this morning. I, you know, I've been at camp for the last three days, and kids, when they go to camp, uh, they don't like vegetables. And um, so we're sitting in the cafeteria, and all of them had fried fish and fried chicken and french fries, and there was no greens on the plate, no nothing. I'm going to drink a bunch of sugar drinks. And I said, you need to eat your vegetables. I don't have to eat my vegetables, is what they say to me. So... I'm like, okay. Uh, so one of them comes to me later that evening and said, I don't feel good. I feel like I'm going to throw up. I said, get to the bathroom. I don't want to see it. This is why I'm not the children's minister. I don't want to see it. I'm like, I warned you for three transgressions and even for four, I will not withdraw my wrath. I warned you that if you didn't eat properly, you would suffer. Do you understand? This is why I wanted you to eat the vegetables. But I don't like vegetables. Listen, no one likes to do what's good. Everybody likes to eat what is bad. Everybody likes to do what's bad. That's why we have such a problem in our spiritual life. We like to sin. I said, you need to eat your vegetables. I'm going to be watching. You're going to eat your vegetables. I don't want vegetables. I want candy. I'm like, you're not getting any candy. No Oreos, no Honey Grahams, no Teddy Grahams, no nothing. You're going to eat good because I don't want to hear you whining. So we go next day, breakfast. He said, I had some fruit. Excellent. That's sucrose. That's still sugar. You need some vegetables. So we go to lunch. Oh, they didn't really have any vegetables I wanted. I had a hamburger and fries. I said, fine. I said, tonight for dinner, there's mixed vegetable medley, and you are going to eat it. We're standing in the line for that dinner that night on Friday night. Starts crying, Leanne's there, what is wrong? I'm like, he's having issues, just let me handle it. I walked over, I said, look, no one wants to watch you cry. You're trying to get attention, and I'm going to give you some attention. Oh, well, my mama. I'm like, let me tell you something. I can call your mama. Do you want me to call your mama on the phone? You know you need to eat vegetables. Oh, well, my mama. I'm going to dial her. No, don't do that. Eat the vegetables. If I eat one vegetable, can I have three Skittles? I said, I don't negotiate with children or terrorists. You can forget it. You need to eat your vegetables. So he goes in, gets some green beans, picks out the green beans from the vegetable medley, shoots the corn across the table and the carrots across the table. That's what kids do, what adults do when they become kids too. And so he looks at me and he says, oh, they weren't that bad. I said, really? He said, no, when you put salt all over them, they're really good. We become what 
we eat. If you take a steady diet of fried chicken and all you want to eat is fried foods, your body is going to suffer in one of two ways. Either you're going to get bigger or your health is going to decline. You cannot, listen, you and I become what we eat. When you and I spend time devouring God's Word, we spend time engaging it, mulling over it, chewing on it, letting it have its way with our lives. When we allow our lives, when we allow our lives to live in the shadow of the Scripture and in the shadow of cross, uh, shadow of Christ, you and I become what we eat. If you're not the spiritual leader that you want to be, if you're not the husband that you need to be, if your wife is not what you think she should be, I'm just going to suggest to you, men of God wannabes, that you spend some time in God's Word. Spend some time devouring it rather than pulling up porn on the internet, rather than sending the crass jokes that you send via text message or whatnot. You say, well, how do I know that you do that? I was on a plane the other day. And I was flying from Columbus to Chicago. There's a young man, it was a full flight because there had been cancellations due to, to weather all over the place. And so we're, I'm sitting in the middle, uh, sandwiched between uh, this woman who was asleep and this businessman. And he's got his phone out, one of these big, I call them phablets. Uh, so it was one of these phone tablets, huge little thing. And I look over and I see this woman. And I was like, I know that's not what I'm seeing on the plane. Oh, my gosh. I'm like, gosh, she really looks good. Uh, and I, so I said, I, so I thought, well, maybe, maybe, maybe it was just an advertisement. You know, sometimes you check in your email and there's a pop-up. Well, man, did he have a lot of pop-ups. Because I was sitting there, and uh, so he's talking with his friend adjacent to him. And I'm sitting there, and I'm, I'm trying not to be obvious. I'm like, is he really looking at porn on the plane? I cannot believe this. And so... He asked, I was, I was, I was dressed, uh, dressed in, a, in a jacket and, and, uh, and slacks, and he says to me, he says, so where do you work? <laughs> and I thought, oh, dear God, here we go. And I said, uh, well, like my usual response, I said, well, I, I work with people. And he said, oh, what do you do? I said, well, I, I spend time with them, and I try, to, I, I try to help them along the line. He said, are you a therapist? I said, not exactly. And I said, I'm actually a pastor of a church. And he went, yeah, I said, and I'm just going to tell you, I'm like, that chick that you got on your phone, she looks mighty fine, but we don't need to be looking at her. I'm just going to suggest that to you. Listen, the whole flight, he was turned kind of cocky-eyed, looking at the other guy talking to him. Didn't talk, and then in the end he said, there's nothing wrong with what I'm doing. They still have some clothes on. I'm like, nothing to leave the imagination. I said, let me ask you this. I said, and these were my parting words to him. I said, if your wife, I said, I assume you're married. He said, yes. I said, you have children? He said, yes. I said, if you were on a plane with your wife and your kids, would you have that on your tablet? Well, no. Do I need to say anything else? See, it's not an issue of scripturally, let me quote you God's word, thou shalt not. It's a matter principle of leadership you see there are a lot of things that you and I that are permissible there are a lot of things that you and I can do there's a lot of things that you and I can engage in but there's a lot of things that we shouldn't because we are marked we have the image of God upon our hearts and our minds 
We're supposed to be different because God is upon us. And so we choose not to do certain things. And we choose to do certain things because Christ indwells in us through the work of the Holy Spirit. We become what we eat. I used to read a lot on leadership and spend a lot, I mean, every time I could get a, a magazine article on leadership principles, whether it was in business or in church work, and, uh, and what it led, and, and Tabby, you can ask Tabby this later, uh, but one of the things it led to is I, was, I always was desiring more. I wanted, you know, I wanted, uh, in my own career, there was kind of these benchmarks that I wanted to make, and it, what I learned is every time I made a benchmark, there was always something else to achieve. There was always a, a new height to gain. There was always a new, new something to embrace. And part of that is just the makeup of uh, what I was taught. I was taught that, you know, you can, you know, you can do anything you want to do. You can be successful, continue to apply yourself, never be satisfied where you are. And that has been kind of baptized in the church. And so many of us have bought into this concept that, you know, just continue to, to be the best you can be. And I'm all about being the best that you can be. But what I'm not about is not being satisfied with where you are and where God has placed you. And so I can't tell you an exact day. You would ask, I have to ask Tabby because she's a good litmus test of the relationship because she's a therapist too and I need therapy all the time. Uh, but one of the things that we realized, and one of the things she said to me, and this was several years ago, she said, are you ever, are you ever going to be happy? What do you mean be happy? I'm happy. Don't I look happy? That's kind of where the conversation went. I'm, I don't think I'm, I'm not exaggerating, am I? No, I don't think so. And so, uh, and so it really kind of led to a journey. Well, I, I thought I was happy. I mean, I'm happy, aren't I? Yeah? Hmm? No? No, maybe, maybe I'm not. Maybe, why, why am I not happy? Why, why, am I, why am I not content? Why am I not disgruntled? And there was all these things, and men, this is so easy for us. We want, we want, we want, we want, and then when we get, we still want. We want more and more and more. And more, and what I'm going to tell you is, as long as you are setting your life up to attain a certain level or attain certain things, and you've always got a benchmark that's set a little bit higher, you will never live in the moment. You will always live for something that is to come which may never happen. And you and I will always, always, always be discontented. Contentment is not about what you have. Contentment is about a state of being. You and I can be content. And, uh, and, and Tabby and I have talked, you know, since moving here, uh, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's very strange for me because I'm a, she would tell you, I'm kind of a, a person, a materialist. I like material things and whatnot. And so, you know, we, we continue to, to rent in the house. And uh, I don't really care whether I get a house. I'm happy where I am. Uh, you know, God has provided for us. But for really, for the first time in a long time, I said to her the other week, gosh, you know what? I could retire here. Like, I have, I have no desire to go anywhere else. I have no desire to be anywhere else. And for the first time in my life, what I'm realizing is that you and I need to be content exactly where God places us. I know that there were years that I was extremely unhappy. And you know whose fault that was? Mine. Happiness comes as a result of digging into God's Word, of making sure that you are purposed and where you need to be. When you and I take a steady diet of God, a steady diet of His truth, a steady diet of His Word, you will be amazed. You will be amazed at where your life heads and the direction will changes that are made. Success 
comes, if you look in verse 3, not as a result of your ambition. Success does not come as a result of our desire. Success comes as a result of what I consider deep roots. And that's what's implied in verse 3 of the passage. Verse 3 says, They are like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season. If you ever go along a stream and you look at the trees... The trees that are thriving, the trees that are examples that are that are the kind of the the, the the middle, the kind of the main thing in that area or in that in that vintage of growth, the main types of trees are trees who have huge roots. Some of us are so shallow in our spiritual walk. The reason we can't be a spiritual leader and lead the family is because we can't even help ourselves. Because we're so busy trying to have this built into this idea of what the world says that you and I should value. I mean, go today, go to Food City, go to Walmart. You look at magazines that are geared towards men. There's usually a very nice, a gorgeous lady on the front. And then all the magazines that deal with men have to do with exercise, having the perfect body, having an eight-pack of abs, whatever you want to call it, doesn't matter. The thing is, those people, listen, when they put out that message, you and I are never, ever, ever, ever going to meet that benchmark I don't care how good you are so the world's standards of our success if we define our success by that we will continually be disillusioned let me tell you what happens when you have a man in a house who's disillusioned guess what happens the whole household is disillusioned there are women sitting in this room right now beside their husband that so desperately are praying in this moment, God, would you please speak to my husband? God, would you please rattle his cage? God, I want him to be the man that he needs to be. And you know what, ladies? It's really not your job to tell him what he's not doing. It's your job to encourage him. It's your job to pray for him. But listen, the change that needs to happen to him, listen, you're never going to be able to make enough food. You're never going to be able to rub his back or scratch his back or spend time with him enough. You're never going to be able to give him enough to change him into the man that you want. But you can be faithful enough to pray for him. Because the change that he needs is not something that you can fix. The change that he needs is not something that you can make whole. The change that he needs, the transformation that he needs is the almighty power of God reigning in his life. So today when we look out at what it means to be a man in our culture, I think it should take on a new tone. It's not about being the American dream, being buff with all the abs and the muscles and all the pretty women around you. It's not about having a yacht and a boat and this and that, the biggest TV or the biggest iPad or anything else. It's not about having that dream job, making those six figures, regardless of whether you put the decimal point. It's about being sold out for Christ. Small steps make big changes. Success comes as a result of deep roots. Quit chasing after things that don't matter. Fulfill your purpose. Produce the fruit that you were called to produce when you were planted. And you may say, aha, but I wasn't planted where I wanted to be planted. Tough stuff. No tree gets to choose where it's planted. Some trees prosper, some trees die. And the reason that the trees that live, live 
because they develop a very deep, deep rooted system. Where are your roots, men? You may say, well, I had a great father. Wonderful. What does that mean? Well, I've been in church all my life. Woohoo! So glad. Let me get you a t-shirt. You have to make a decision. You, listen, you want to talk about submission? You men must submit to the lordship of Christ. There is no other, there's no other way to do it. You've got to lay it all down. You say, well, I don't, you know, I think I'm a pretty good, good guy. Listen, we always think that we're better than we are. Look at your neighbor, look at your spouse and say, you think you're better than you are. Go ahead. You think you're better than you are. Look at your husband and say, you think you're better than you are. And your husband look back and say, you think you're prettier than you are. What does this bring us to? It brings us to the reality that all of us are messed up, fouled up, and need help. And I continue to harp on this because I've run, you know, have, you, have any of you run into anybody in Elizabethan that kind of seems perfect and put together? Oh, you need to be honest. There are some people that walk around this town thinking that their stuff doesn't stink. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. Aha, I see some eyes. I see some smiles. You've met them. Listen. They stink just like you. They have problems just like you. They're in need of Jesus just like you are. Their marriages are on the brink just like yours is. Next couple months we're going to have couples getting married. Two or three, four couples getting married in the life of this church. What I share with them in counseling is, is very simple. But I think profound that they'll listen to it. And that is this, you can't fix your spouse, you can't fix your marriage, you can't, you can't have a perfect marriage, you're not going to have it. But you can have an amazing relationship with the soulmate that God has purposed you for, if both of you, both of you, will lay yourselves at the feet of Christ. Men... We need to lay our marriages at the altar of Christ. We need to surrender ourselves, be sold out for Him, not just in idea, but reality. Wives need to see their husbands praying. Wives need to see their husbands leading. Wives need to see their husbands loving, leading. Wives need to see Christ living in the hearts of their men. And I don't have to tell you what will happen when that happens at First Baptist Church. But we'll have nothing short of a family revival that breaks out. Because everywhere I look, I see brokenness. Everywhere I sense, I see people who are in need of the touch of God. Men, women children there's some children that we took this week that they're going through rough times they're children that we've met this week that are going through difficult times in the home no parent can look at the other and say it's your fault parents are smart the fathers are smart moms are smart 
they'll look to each other and look to Christ and say, we can have a better life. It's not about getting a new job. It's not about making more money. It's not about having more gadgets, living the American dream. It's about living God's dream for your life, making sure that your roots are firmly established, that they run deep, that you fulfill your purpose, that you produce the fruit that you were called to produce when you were planted there, that you would quit whining about what you, where you want to be. You quit whining about your circumstance. You quit whining about where you've been planted and start flourishing where you are, that you and I would be immensely satisfied and content because God has placed you exactly in the position in the place where you are for such a time as this for him to use you in a way to speak to hear from him and to lives and to have lives to be changed because when you and I recognize God's divine plan when we position our lives to pursue him verse 3 of the passage says that you and I will prosper we will prosper and whatever we do. You may sit here today and you may say, I just don't feel valuable. I feel like life has passed me by. There are things that I used to be able to do that I can't do anymore. And so you sit and you sulk about your position. But look at your life. Look at how much God has given to you. Look how much God has blessed you. Quit whining about what's not real and embrace where you are. Let God feel your brokenness. Let God sense your presence. Let God identify with where you are in this very moment. And be content. Have a state of mind of contentment. And this is what I know. That men, when you are content... When you're happy because you've delighted in the Lord's way. When you have submitted yourself to Christ. When you've laid your family at the altar of God and you said, you know what? And you confess and say, I have not been the man that I need to be. I have not been the husband that I need to be. I have not been the father that I need to be. I've not been the grandfather that I've needed to be. I've not been the person, the child of God that I need to be. And today, Lord, I repent. I am so sorry that I have fallen short. Listen, there is no greater freedom that you and I can experience than the freedom that Christ gives. So through your hurt and through your pain, through your fear and through your brokenness, Christ is the one that we look to in every situation. Christ is the fix for every single person, every man, every woman, every child. Bloom where he plants you. Devour his word. Spend time meditating on it. When you and I engage his word, and we're serious about it, there are going to be days when you read a passage, and you're like, I don't really like what that says. I don't, oh, I, don't, I, don't, ooh, I don't like that. See, because not every scripture is warm and fuzzy. Not every scripture affirms us. Some scriptures will rebuke us because our lives are not living up or not matching up to God's standard. There is one standard and it's not ours. It's not yours. It's His. So this invitation and response today is simply as response men to do the right thing in the right way. And that is to lay your family at Christ's feet.
You've made mistakes as a father. You've made mistakes as a husband. Quit dwelling on your failures. Quit talking about, oh, I wish I'd have done this. If I'd have been more present to my son or more present to my daughter, then maybe this wouldn't happen. Listen, you can spend, you and I can spend our lifetimes regretting the reality of what we see today. Or we can be content in the moment, surrendering the here and now and the future to him. Be amazed at what God can do if you and I are simply willing to lay it at his altar. Let's pray. God, we thank you for today, this Father's Day. And Lord, we ask that as we come into a time of response. Lord, for the men in this room who so desperately need the hope of Christ in their marriages, in their homes, in their workplace. God, I pray that you would give them the strength that they need the courage that they need to simply come, to offer themselves, to offer their families to Christ at this altar. Father, we've all sinned, we've all fallen short of your will for our lives. But today some of us are more broken than others, some of us are more heavy-hearted than others. Today your Holy Spirit is speaking and prodding and saying, be at rest, let go of what you've not done. And embrace who I am. And Lord, in this invitation, as we seek your will, Lord, as we make you the priority, the main thing in our homes and in our hearts, God, that you would reign true, that you would bless us and you would help us to prosper, grow our roots and grow them deep. Help us to trust in you every step of the way, knowing that you're leading, guiding, and directing us, and that you're always in the midst of our conflict, you're always in the midst of our storm, and all you want to do in the midst of our chaos is to speak peace. Help us to be content and find our contentment in the person of Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. The invitation is simply going to be this, as we come and as we sing and as you stand. If you're here today and... Uh, maybe, man, you, you come and you say, you know, I, I want to be a better man of God. I want to I come and I want to pray. I, I want to recommit myself. I want to recommit my family. If that's the Lord's will for you today, I pray that you do that. It may be that you say, you know what, really, I, I, need, I need to spend more time talking to my wife about these things. I need, to, I need to tell her. I need to apologize to her. Listen, forgiveness comes from God spiritually. But many conversations need to be had between spouses. Many conversations need to be had between fathers and sons and fathers and daughters. Because after you get your relationship right with God, you've got to mend some broken fences with each other. So our prayer today at First Baptist is that you'll take and heed God's will and His way for your life. But you'll go out of this room and that you'll attempt to have conversations, some gut-wrenching conversations that need to be had. Listen, every woman who loves her husband and loves Christ wants to have the man of God in her, in her home. That's all she wants. She doesn't want you to make more money. She doesn't want you to spend more time with the kids. All those would be great. She wants you to spend time with the Father. She wants you to spend time with the Lord. Because you'll be a much better man. You'll be a better father. And you'll be a better husband. When you and I get serious about our relationship with Him. This invitation is ours.
response is ours. So men, I just simply ask, will you come? Will you come to the altar? Will you come and pray for your family? Will you come and lay your life before him? Will you lay your marriage before him? Will you lay your family life before him? Will you lay your job, every aspect of your life? Would you just simply say, not my will, God, but yours be done. Help me to declare and help me to have firm roots. Help me to flourish where you've planted me. Help me to be content with where I am and what I have. Help me to be completely satisfied. Because now today my soul is at rest with Jesus. Won't you stand? Won't you stand as we sing, as we respond? Won't you come?